Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. Again, I'm doing this live, and I'm doing it essentially with no notes, except a couple of quotations that I wrote down. So we will see how this goes. Uh, appreciate you all still being with me after the week off for Memorial Day. I don't really have a major point or theme today. I just want to talk a little bit about something I've observed which is the quest for legacy, as I call it. So much of our culture today is liberationist. The idea here is that we're trying to be liberated from constraints that are put on us, liberated from sexual constraints, liberated from the expectations of our parents on the ways that we should live our lives, liberated from the do's and don'ts of religion, what we want is to be free to be our own authentic selves. We want to be able to do what we want, to live life on our terms, to be our own man, right? I see that in myself. For whatever reason, my dad, whom, you know, I love my dad and I greatly admire my dad, I never wanted to follow in his footsteps in terms of taking over his career or living the way that he lived. He spent most of his life working in small manufacturing management. He was plant managers. He was quarry superintendent uh, of a mine for a while. He uh, you know, was a construction superintendent building houses. And he did a few other things, but sort of in management of small manufacturing type things. Lived out in the country. And I said, love my dad. He's awesome but that's not me. I want to do my own thing. And so this idea of inheriting a trade or, uh, you know, inheriting a way of life is not something that really resonates with us as Americans or maybe as moderns, but especially as Americans, because we've always been in a, a more rootless society, a more frontier society, a more mobile society, etc. And yet what I see is constantly this quest for legacy, for connection to something. And we see it both in the way that we seek to have some inheritance that we can call our own and in the way that we want to see our own legacy passed on after we go. Uh, so let's think about the first. I'm always struck today about everybody doing 23andMe, everybody getting into ancestry and genealogies and family trees. Somebody uh, in my family, I'm not sure who it is. I have so many cousins and relatives on my dad's sides of family. I can't even keep them all straight. But somebody went and did a family tree of the Wren family where they actually traced the Wren family all the way back to the Saarland in Germany and apparently went over there and took a whole bunch of pictures of graves and things like that with our name on them. This was more elaborate than the copy I had of an old family tree that went back to the early yeah, 1800s. People want to feel that connection. They want to go back to the other. They want to know where they came from. We see this also with adopted children uh, or maybe people who had been conceived with donor sperm. There's just been an article, maybe it was in the Times, I can't remember exactly where I read it, about you know the rights of children to know who their parents were and find out like who was my dad, who was the sperm donor that conceived me. This idea to know biologically where you came from. We have this desire to be connected to something 
that we cannot dis- escape despite our you know liberationist impulses that we have and every time i see someone that has something that they've inherited from their family of value i get a little bit jealous we can see this in the most extreme form on tv we turn on the tv there's the show about the british aristocrats and they're living in the same manor house that their family has lived in for hundreds of years and on the wall there's all the portraits of the duke of the earl from all the generations of ancestors going back and you're like wow wouldn't that be cool uh, or i think about um you know, a friend of mine who has an awesome lake house in New Hampshire. His parents had bought it. It's truly amazing. The house dates back to the 1800s. They got tons of history about it. And he also inherited from his dad two old wooden boats that are phenomenal. Like, the kinds of things, like, if you want to get these things today, you are really talking about shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to get them. You know, he's got this stuff that he inherited, and he comes a little bit from sort of wasp gentry uh, in Philadelphia. That, you know, kind of, albeit, albeit call it like a more minor branch of the family. I don't want to oversell to this guy some, you know, super rich like Rockefeller or something like that. But he inherited some property and a legacy there. Or even just people who, you know, have a family cabin in the woods in Minnesota. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I wish I had something like that. But the reality is, most of us really don't have anything like that. And many of us actually had the opportunity to get things like that. The problem is we don't really want it. So I think about my grandparents, you know, when they died, you know, they had all these possessions. And, you know, especially my mom's parents, they'd moved out of the house into an apartment. And so they disposed of all their stuff. And the fact is, I'm like, what of their stuff would I actually want? The reality is none of it because they were greatest generation people and like a lot of people of that era, they really didn't have a lot of money. Uh, you know, they you know were kind of frugal, and they did really well off Social Security. This is the generation that really immensely profited from the creation of Social Security and Medicare. So they had a decent life sustained with that, but you know, these were not rich people. The stuff they bought was not super high-quality stuff, and it's all stuff that's of an era that— why would I want it? I mean, it's a style from a bygone generation. It's like, why would I want their collection of records from the oldies? Unless I'm one of the few, you know, small number of people who are actually into that kind of music. It's just, it doesn't speak to me. So for a while, I actually had my grandmother's punch bowl. Everybody that generation had to have a punch bowl. And now it's like the grandkids or the kids have them. But what are you going to do with a punch bowl? Nobody has punch today. I'm even not even sure that they used it. Apparently, a lot of their quote-unquote, fancy, uh, you know, wine glasses and fancy things were actually never used. They were for display only. They just sat in a case that had, like, glass things, and it was never, ever actually used their entire life. Maybe that's just one of the things did. But, like, what am I going to do with a punch bowl? And I hated to throw it out, so I pawned it off on one of my female cousins, and now she's got it. But a lot of the stuff, I like the idea of inheriting things, but when you look at the reality of what it is, I think, wow. That's not stuff that I'm actually going to use. And I think the same thing, like, for my parents. Like, my mom, she still lives in the house we grew up in. And I say to myself, man, I kind of hate it if she sold that. We had to get rid of it. There is sentimental value there. It still looks broadly the same as when I grew up. And yet, the style is completely not mine. It's too small to live in. And 
how much time would I spend there? You know, it's got a few things. I'm like, wow, that that rocking chair that her great great grandmother had. I probably want to keep that, but it's not my, um, you know, it's not my style. It wouldn't fit in with my house. If it's not in that context, what would you do with it? And my wife's got sort of the same thing. She's got a couple old things that are actually in a storage unit, you know, that we're basically keeping because they were like our grandmothers and these things, but like we're not going to use them. They, they have no relevance to our life. So the rare wealthy person who has a manor house in England, that's that, this idea of inheriting that is awesome. Uh, you know, incredible wooden boats from like the 1920s. Uh, yeah, that would be awesome. But most of us don't have that because we don't come from families that were rich or from people who were particularly stylish and bought like these amazing mid-century furniture items that would be great to have. It's people who basically lived sort of a middle-class lifestyle of that era. They were not wealthy. The styles were totally different. And what do you do with it? The reality is we want it, we want to have this connection, but also the tangible stuff is is something that maybe it's it's not really as relevant to us as we would aspire for it to be. So I'm hoping to keep a few things, but some of them are just they're kept to be kept more than kept to be used. Uh, it's not necessarily you know a, a living legacy uh, in in a sense, but I think it does show this idea of our desire to inherit something, to have an inheritance. And uh, I, I've always wanted to see a good study of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, through the lens of inheritance, uh, because uh, I think there, that's one of the themes that comes out to me of, of the covenant with Israel, that the idea that you've inherited this land, you've inherited this legacy. Uh, anyhow, I'm still looking for that. If you know any good ones, uh, send them my way. But we not only want to inherit something for ourselves, even though we want to liberate ourselves from constraints, we have this idea that we want to pass on something of our legacy to descendants. We want ourselves, something of us, to live on after we are gone. And I quoted this in a newsletter a while back, you may recall it, but Gina D'Alfonso, and I hope that I pronounce uh, her name correctly. So Gina, if you're listening and I mispronounced your name, send me the correct way and I'll be happy to correct it. I want to pronounce people's names correctly. She's a Christian writer. She's written for Christianity Today, other publications. She's single and did not have any kids, and she's written a lot about that. And she wrote a piece in Plow Magazine where she talked about when you're single and you don't have a family— that requires much greater intentionality in your life because, you know, the things that you create organically when you have, you know, say kids don't come for you. So if you have young preschool children, it's very easy to bond with the other moms that have preschool children at your church or at your school, whatever. There's a natural community that comes to that. But if you don't have those, then you have to be more intentional. And she talked about making a will and how she felt when she wanted, when it came time to make a will. So I want to read this piece to you. Quote, this was brought home to me recently when I updated my will. When one has no spouse or children to whom one can leave anything, this takes a whole new level of intentionality. I spent weeks pondering the fate of my most prized possessions. This was not, I hope, out of an excess of materialism. 
It was because the things that mean the most to me will not become family heirlooms as I wish they could. There is no passing them down the generations, at least not to direct descendants. There are my parents and sister, but that is more a passing up or sideways. I could have bequeathed everything to charity, but something in me could not face the thought of my things going to people who would not remember me when they wore or read or looked at them. A self-centered feeling most likely, but I could not shake it. Unquote. I do not think it's self-centered, and that's the reason that I put it in there, as I really think, in essence, the uh, evangelical church, or a good chunk of it, has gaslit people into believing that if there's anything you want, that if you don't get it, you feel bad, that's idolatry. And so it creates a sort of Buddhist uh, inflection to Christianity, where the path to being truly focused on God is to essentially empty yourself of any ordinary human desires like these. And this is a very ordinary human desire. And this is something that I hadn't necessarily thought about uh, even when I, I was single, but I now realize is something that I would think more about. And even though I have a son who in theory could inherit things that I have, I still think about this and realize, wow, there is a desire there for something of yourself to be passed on. And you even feel anxiety about it sometimes, even when you do have something. So I was a huge science fiction reader when I was younger. And I don't know how many books I had, well over a thousand. I had a whole wall full of them at one point. But basically for most of my adult life, I bought a lot of these when I was in you know high school and even junior high. You know, hundreds of books were just boxed up in my, you know, parents' attics. <laughs> and I had, you know, some of them out for about 10 years when I had my condo in Chicago. And then when I sold that, they're kind of all back in storage. And I'm like, I'm keeping these books. And I'm like, I'm never going to read most of these books. I don't want to read most of these books. I don't read science fiction today. Like a lot of people, I read it when I was younger. And I'm not saying I would never read science fiction today. I do occasionally. But like, it's just not where I am today. What am I going to do with all these books? And oh, by the way, I don't really want my son to become a science fiction person because the literature is actually not good in a variety of ways. So what am I doing with this? But I'm like, man, this this is my life. I built this collection. It's something that matters to me, and I can't let it go. Well, finally, a couple years ago, my uncle out in California who got very into science fiction asked if he could have some. And so I'm like, this is great. So I sent almost my entire science fiction book collection to him. And I sort of made peace with losing that. But the other thing that, that I really thought about with, with Gina's piece was this bag that I keep in one of my drawers. I have a gallon Ziploc bag. And in this bag are ticket stubs for events that I've had throughout my adult life. Concerts, operas, whatever, you name it. There's also like old boarding passes or museum entry passes or things like that. And there's a lot of stuff in there right now. And, you know, I just always was a collector of these things. And, you know, you could make a point, probably a valid one. It's like, Aaron, you know, you, you lived your life and all you have to show for it is a bag full of ticket stubs. But in a sense, this, this things that I have them and I keep them because I want the things that I did to have some significance, not just to me, but to other people. But who wants this? What if I gave this to my kid? Like, here's everything your dad ever did. I'm like, 
Why would he care about it? I don't even look at them, right? It's just taking up space in my drawer. But I've started this collection, uh, and I just, I feel like, man, all the things that I did, the record of my life, in essence, right? Like a lot of people have a diary or a journal. I don't have one of those. But what I have are all of these ticket stubs that I've created. And it's like, this is the record of your life. And you don't want to let it go because you want your life to have some sense of significance when you're gone. And it's like, if the physical record of the things that I did disappears, it's like I disappear or, you know, it's like the legacy of my life, my legacy evaporates. And I think that's something that we, we think about uh, as human beings. And it's something that, and tragically, we often don't think about until it's too late to do anything about it, particularly when it comes to having kids. You know, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're very focused on the liberationist side of your life. You're finding out who you are. You're declaring independence from your parents. It's only later in life. And I've always said it's typically around 35. When you start acquiring the ability to project the future story arc of your life forward and emotionally connect to where you're going to be, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now. You can start to see yourself at the end of your life and say, well, wow, what kind of a trajectory am I on? And these sorts of things start to come for you. And this is one of the things that, you know, as I've grown, you know, older, I start thinking about that. Like, you know, my days are going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be limited, that I've only got so many days left. I have a friend who's about 10 years older than me. He created a PowerPoint about 10 years ago, it was hourglass.ppt. And it was basically years, it's like a box, list of boxes with years. It looked kind of good because he's a graphic designer, up to his life expectancy. And from then on, every year that went by, he was just crossing out, you know, a, uh, you know, crossing out another year. And it's like, look, this is like, you know, I can start to see the end of the line. As, as we start to be able to see the end of the line or emotionally connect to the end of the line, uh, which hopefully I'm far away from, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not dead yet. As I like to say, I don't think that, you know, my life is over by any means. Nevertheless, we start thinking more about these things and we start to have this sense of anxiety about disappearing into the ether and realizing the ephemerality uh, of ourselves. And this desire for legacy, this desire to be part of something, this, it's a desire to have some transcendent experience we cannot escape the desire for the transcendent and so the transcendent doesn't have to mean a supernatural transcendence but this idea that we are connected to something that we are part of something extending backwards into the past and forwards into the future that is a primal part of the human experience that is very hard to shake off even when we have a culture and a media that saturates us with messaging that's designed to essentially undermine those sorts of things. These sorts of desires do come welling up within us, and we start thinking, wow, wait a minute. What happens when I'm older, you know, uh, or what happens when I'm gone? Does anybody going to remember me? Is anybody going to care about me the minute, you know, the lights go out for me is my memory essentially gone from this world and we don't like to think that we don't like to think that stuff but it comes at us because that's just the nature of life and the reality is we are going to all be forgotten 
you know, they always do this little test. They say, how many of your great-grandparents can you name? You know, it's not very many generations ago. I met one great-grandmother. I can name maybe, you know, a few of them. So I, I, I've accumulated the names. I maybe name half of my great-grandparents, but these are not people I have any connection to. These are people who might as well, you know, other than the genetic material that made it down to me, may, may as well not exist because I have no relationships with them. And they have essentially disappeared into the mists of history. And, you know, occasionally the, the great man will remain remembered. But most of us are destined, you know, for kind of the ash heap of history in that. And that's that would be the end of the story in, uh, in, the, in the ordinary course of a materialist uh, human life. But as I just got a comment, because I'm doing this loud, uh, live, somebody writes in, God remembers. And that's where I kind of wanted to end on the positive note. There's a famous, uh, famous passage from Isaiah 56 that you, you know, sometimes hear people preach on about how uh, God is going to create a legacy for the eunuch, for those who did not have kids. And I'll just read this, this from you. It's from Isaiah 56. I think it's verses 4 and 5. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant— to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And I think that this passage in the Bible gets directly at people's desire to have a legacy that lives on after they are gone. The thing I love about the Bible is just how realistic and true to life it is. Here is a passage in which God understands the anxieties over legacy that people have. And he's like, look, I have a legacy for you. Your legacy, whatever happens here, whatever happens in this world, the significance of your life is not going to evaporate into the myths, but it, it is eternal. And I think that, uh, you know, the Bible and, and God, they speak directly to the innermost longings, the most primal longings uh, of the human heart. So this is something to consider. Again, there's no huge takeaway, uh, you know, oh, you got to have kids. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have kids. Yeah, you know, I'm extremely thankful to have a kid. That's not going to mean that my legacy is going to carry on forever in some sense that I might want it to. It's just like my grandparents' stuff. My kids, you know, my son's not going to want my stuff. <laughs> you know, most likely he's going to have his own life. He's going to want to do his own things. Uh, and certainly within a couple generations, you know, what, you know, it'll be, you know, they're not going to be toting around this bag of ticket stubs <laughs> forever. Uh, you know, if you know what I mean, maybe I'll get lucky and I'll do something that, that makes me really famous and some university will want my quote-unquote papers. And scholars will be pouring over these ticket stubs and in order to be reconstructing the biography of my life. But you know what? That's extremely unlikely. That's extremely unlikely. It might happen. Uh, you know, I can, I can hold out the possibility, but it's unlikely. But nevertheless, I think that this, this idea that we desire to have a legacy, this desire for a transcendent connection to the past and the future, it's a primal part of the human experience that modern society cannot satisfy. And in fact, modern society seeks to dissatisfy. It creates the conditions for dissatisfaction with these things, which is why in the past, 
we didn't spend a lot of time questioning this stuff. Now we're all anxiety-ridden over legacy because we've been liberated from everything, and we have to be intentional about our lives and choose our own path and be authentic. But how do we construct something that will survive after we're gone? How do we construct something that goes into a past when we can't control the past? And those really are the givens. You know, our society is designed not to satisfy the most primal longings uh, of humanity. And, you know, that's why Christianity is still relevant, even in the, the modern era, because it is designed to satisfy the innermost human longings, because God actually created humanity and designed us a certain way and has the solution uh, for human flourishing. So what, on that note, which I think is, a, is ultimately a positive uh, in that, uh, you know, in Christ, we have a legacy that can never be taken away from us and will endure forever. Uh, it does speak to that, that primal longing of the human heart. Something to understand. Uh, and again, I just want to say thanks to, uh, to Gina for being honest enough to share her own feelings with that. This piece really struck with me when I read it. Um, it's rare for me to, uh, to, to read some confessional uh, and and really be kind of like get get me and but this one really got me and I think about like the the, the way that it is and I think that these are the sorts of thoughts that go through a lot of people's heads but are rarely articulated. Maybe people don't even necessarily consciously have a way to express them in words. Maybe they're ashamed or whatever. But we don't think about these things. We don't talk about these things. But this is one of the things that I think is another again. It's it's an opportunity for the gospel because it is something that people are wrestling with in our world, particularly with rising levels of people who are not married and don't have kids. So thank you for listening, and I will talk to you again next week.